Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm speaking with William Anger. Uh, William does, is a Senior Director of IT and Cybersecurity over at uh, ViewRay, based out of Denver, Colorado. Um, I see that you started off uh, your IT cybersecurity related career in the military, more specifically the US Air Force, before getting dumped into the civilian world. Um, maybe you wanted to, uh, you know, step in and give us a brief introduction about yourself. Sure. So I joined military straight out of high school, just like everyone does, because it was a great way to pay for education. Um, got an undergrad in cybersecurity and then two master's degrees in quantitative analytics and then got out and jumped into the civilian world. And the fun part was I thought I knew a little bit about cybersecurity and computers, governance and uh, compliance within the military. And then I jumped into financial technology in the civilian world and boy, was it a change. It was a very, very big difference. You know, what? in, in, in what in what sense? I mean, if you could, uh, you know, pinpoint or just point to a couple of uh, major things that were very different in your opinion, what would they be? Sure. So when I was dealing with computers in the military, you always had very well written, very uh, process oriented documents and you would just go down and A, B, C, D. And as long as you followed the steps, you were good to go because it was so large and everything was so detailed that it created a failure proof environment. When you end up in the civilian side, there's a sort of a risk management slash risk tolerance discussion where you're constantly aware of the cost of the decision. What's the risk? What are we taking on? And how is that different? And so it changes situationally. Even the market changes how you address that risk component. And so there's no longer that whole follow the process and you'll be safe. Everything has to become a discussion. Everything has a component where you're accepting or mitigating risk. And so it really changes the way that I thought about it. Okay, interesting. But uh, uh, again, and not to uh, delve into a very uh, broad discussion or a very uh, deep, deep dive discussion around that specific topic, but I'm assuming the military also has like, you know, some kinds of risk, um, um, risk appetite and risk management baked into some of its processes. Wouldn't you say? I would definitely say they have it. I would say those conversations happened very, very far above my head. And so some of those discussions about where to invest, how to allocate the resources, I was a product of them, but being a part of that discussion completely changed the focus. I'm sure that happens within the military, the DOD and the government at large, but at such a high level discussion with so many zeros after the budget at that point, that it's a different discussion. Got it, got it. So, and that might point to the fact that it's a completely different scale of an organization then. Very okay. much so. 
Got it. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, and you know, uh, as, as I think I mentioned in our previous call, this the, the purpose of this podcast is basically to create some content, ask you some questions, learn more about you, uh, yourself and your journey. It's not about the, the current role that you're in or the, or the companies that you're employed at right now. So with that, I mean, I'm, I'm always starting off with, you know, a couple of, uh, casual icebreaker questions here um, before diving into the the real meat of the podcast. So if you could share the, your marital status, if that's okay, and your favorite drink, that would be an excellent start. Definitely. So I've been married for about 11 years now. I have two kids, which of course leads to my favorite drink being a Manhattan because two kids being married 11 years, you need a good drink now and then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Thank you for that. Uh, and you know, with that, let's get started. Uh, if there's one thing you wish you'd known before you begin your career and journey, what would that be? I would say, phrasing it loosely, saying less is more. Um, so often in my early career, I thought that a well thought out argument was very persuasive and I just wanted to go head to head. And the further I've gotten into my career, the more I've realized that you don't always have to have the arguments. Sometimes the conversation will swing around the direction that you wanted if you just give it time. And allowing silence to just take place can be very, very persuasive. Okay, less is more. Like I like it. Uh, what would you say your biggest failure was and what did you learn out of it? My biggest failure would have been um, onboarding at a Fortune 100 company. I came in and was brought on as a uh, senior program manager, and I was like, I got this. And I was very confident, very sure of what I was doing. And within my first week, I got in an argument with the product manager for the project that I was managing, and it did not go well. It was an epic failure. It was an immediate burnout. It was one of those resume generating events where you're like, I failed, and I definitely could have done better at this. And that was sort of where that whole less is more, learn the environment, learn who the players are, learn the landscape that you work within. And so from that perspective, I've been very, very focused on a book called The First 90 Days. It talks a lot about figuring out the landscape of the organization, who the stakeholders are, who your allies are, who you need to understand what their motivations are. And it approaches it a lot more in a inquisitive question asking mindset, as opposed to walking in assuming your whole job is to fix things and you're in the wild west. Mm -hmm. And would, would you say that uh, book and these insights that you've got, gained out of it are applicable to uh, all sizes of, of organizations or just to corporate and enterprise America? I honestly think it's even more important in smaller organizations. I have the benefit working in larger corporations now of if I burn one relationship, I can probably clean it up by making three others. In a small company, if you don't make those alliances, if you don't understand what your partner's motivations are, you burn your relationship and there's no cleaning it up. It's done before it even starts. And so I think it's universally applicable, but potentially even more applicable at small scale. Yeah, good point. Thanks for that, for clarifying. Uh, and, you know, having touched on that, what would you say your biggest accomplishment was then? My biggest accomplishment so far, I love to add that part because I really want to continue to just one-up it. <laughs> um, I came into an organization that had a idea of cybersecurity, but hadn't really fleshed out the program, uh, hadn't built out a lot of the controls, the documents. Um, and so they knew it was an area, 
but I was brought in specifically to create a cybersecurity focused business environment, not just the software controls, but the mindsets, the training, the discussion, the committees. And from there, um, started building and lo and behold, right into that, ran into a cybersecurity event. One of the major groups out there um, was knocking on the door, created an event, managed it through start to finish, the cleanup, all of it, the remediation, how that went to shareholders, how that was broadcast. And that whole discussion was just mind-blowing in terms of the scope and also the education that came out of it. And in the wake of that, continuing through to create the business processes, the education, make sure the remediations were in place, maturity assessments, um, all of those items. And the interesting thing is the first hurdle within cybersecurity is really trying to get the value acknowledged. It's so easy to say, hey, cybersecurity is important, but what does that mean? Where do we allocate the money? How do we have the discussions around the risk? And then once you do have the value acknowledged comes the execution component. It's easy to have people say it. And then once you have to deliver, quantify it, start turning that into an operational plan, that was it. And so that was my big accomplishment was that whole end-to-end journey of getting something from relatively relative infancy through to execution and operate and making it operational. It was a lot of fun. I'm very proud of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I uh, I think I can relate to what you're saying. I think there's a huge sense of accomplishment in creating something, but then not only creating that something, but also seeing the value that that thing that you've created has brought to to a place or to an organization in your in your uh, case. So, uh, and it seems like that's what you did. And I think a lot of the you know CISOs and like professionals out there are really creator at heart, creators at heart, you know, they're, they like creating stuff. And, you know, when you get a chance of creating something that actually, and, and you're able to prove its worth, I think that's where the accomplishment or that sense of accomplishment comes from. Definitely. Thanks. Uh, and looking at uh, the the market out there and all the you know the newcomers and uh, the cyber wannabes right now, what uh, or well, cyber wannabes might not be the best way of describing uh, young enthusiasts. That's how I describe myself uh, yeah. still. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've I've interviewed so many people who consider to consider this, uh, themselves as uh, you know. Um, perpetual noobs in the industry so that that's fine i think i think we're all learning all the time anyhow uh you know from the moment we were born until the moment we we depart so in any case i mean but for our young listeners out there or for anyone who wants to you know get plugged into the industry what advice would you give i would say be flexible above all um Get familiar with the industry jargon, get familiar with the vernacular so you have a rough idea, and then just continue to ask questions. The industry moves so fast. Um, I got in an undergrad in cybersecurity and thought I understood cybersecurity. And then I got out of the DOD and realized I didn't know anything about cybersecurity in the way that I thought I did. And in every organization since then, I've watched as the cybersecurity landscape changes. Every time a new threat actor comes out, every time a new zero day is released, even as recently as this year, the SEC changing requirements around how a board interacts with cybersecurity, it is constantly changing. And so my advice to anyone who's very new to the industry or looking to jump into the industry is try and figure out the best way to stay flexible to the industry. Watch as it changes, make yourself adaptable and get on with the newest trend and just try and keep up at that point because it's gonna change and it's always going to change faster than the certifications, the standards, the education, the degrees. 
They're great. It's a great starting point, but you really do have to stay flexible because the industry is going to change so fast. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. And let's talk. Let's talk just a bit about the tension between IT and cybersecurity. And as someone who I believe is wearing uh, two hats, right? Uh, I believe you might have some insights here. So as, as you probably know, a lot of organizations tend to separate nowadays, they tend to separate, separate between the cybersecurity function and you know the IT related function. But in some organizations, and I, your organization might be one, uh, IT and cybersecurity are intertwined. Uh, any thoughts about that? Definitely. I can say the pull between the two is real, and yet there's also an awful lot of overlap. And so my focus, trying to split the difference between being responsible for IT and also being responsible for information security is understand where the business value comes from, understand what value each applica application brings to the organization, and also weigh that against what is the risk inherent to that application. And so as I have the discussion with a business, I can go this application, this service, this development, um, this hosting environment, they provide X, Y, and Z, but here's the cost and here's the risk and try and split those. It gets a little bit messy because when I'm in the IT role and I'm focused on operations, I want to deliver fast. I want things up. I don't want users to run into hurdles in their day-to-day -day job. I don't want them to have to do multi-factor authentication every time they log into a new service. But when I start focusing on security, I'm going, well, of course I want them to do multi-factor more often. Of course I want to create some more hurdles and create those things that are going to force them to take a step back, focus on security, ask, is this email legit or is this phishing? Those it's a sort of split focus between the two, but in both instances, I'm very focused on applications, services, environments, and trying to quantify what is the risk and what is the value provided. Mm -hmm. And is this your first role where you um, merge the two, the two worlds or is it? Uh... No, when I was working within financial technology and internet service providership, it was very beneficial because they had well-established uh, delineated lines between security and operations. And so IT was one, security was the other, and they would partner for releases. And I was able to see a lot of both sides. Um, the last several positions I've been in have, I've owned both the security and the operation side of things. And so it's really switch that hat and try and have both discussions. And so every deck you have for what is this new project, what is this new service or hosting environment, have the discussion about what is the risk and also what is the value provided. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. You studied cybersecurity in, uh, in college or university, right, at some point. But since that point, what did you do to, you know, stay current, stay up to date? What are the best resources that you've, that you've used that you can name? I have not been able to find a better resource to date than vendors. One of the major, major benefits of vendors is they are financially incentivized to know what is going on in the world and to address it in real time. And so I can watch the news and I'll catch part of what's going on, or I can talk to a vendor and they'll be able to tell me the technical aspects of a particular vulnerability and how it's being utilized. And if they're good enough at it, if they provide enough services within those, I obviously purchase those products, but they're incentivized to educate me. They're incentivized to tell me what is going on in the world and how they are uniquely addressing it. And so vendor meetings for me are all about what can I learn? What is it that you can teach me that I haven't learned before? 
And typically I'll take multiple meetings from vendors within the same industry because I want to hear how each one is approaching the industry differently. How are they focusing on the same threats from a different lens? What do they have to say about each other even? And so I've learned an awful lot from vendors because they're just, they're constantly on the cutting edge. They have to be, or they're going to become irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and what's the, you know, again, going back to the industry, uh, there are a lot of myths around it. What's the one common myth about the industry that you want to debunk? <laughs> The one I love, and this happens even when I talk to my family about cybersecurity, is they picture me in a dark room with a single lamp, and they picture me coding away in a matrix-style code, and that's not at all what cybersecurity has become. Cybersecurity is so integrated within the business and the processes and the value creation of the industry that most of my meetings are, and most of my job is focused on providing value, talking risk in terms of business and return on investment. And so it's very much a business position with a healthy understanding of technology. But the majority of my job is not hands-on keyboard code creation. Mm-hmm. Certainly not, uh, you know, on black uh, screens with green letters running. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that would be cool. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I wish. That would, yeah, that would be cool. Um Let's touch a bit about the role of the CISO nowadays and where it's going. Uh, in your opinion, what are the main concerns that CISOs nowadays sh- sh- would have, do have? The, big, the biggest challenge I see facing CISOs now and for probably the next several years is that whole value discussion. Um, with the way the economy is working right now, everybody's being asked to do less with more. And you run the risk with trying to implement and fund cybersecurity programs of essentially selling a product that doesn't return a value unless the worst should happen. And so understanding the business case, understanding the risk management and being able to speak to that in a comprehensive manner that is approachable to the business. And so you spend less time talking about control frameworks and uh, the ins and outs of which ports are open or which applications have the greatest uptime. And you start talking more about the business value and how it will work within the business to not only provide the value, but reduce potential expenditures associated with security events. Mm-hmm. And and really, I mean, there are so many tools and SaaS solutions out there right now. How do you justify, like, how do you measure ROI? It's a fair question. It's a big question. <laughs> when I'm looking at ROI within the business, I look at the cost of what is the worst case that could happen? For instance, you get here with with ransomware, you're looking at a several million dollar payout. Well, what Mm -hmm. is my cost in order to mitigate it? How can I most thoroughly mitigate it? Is it 100% mitigated? And you run back to the business idea of you either have to accept a risk, transfer a risk, or mitigate a risk. And so you either say, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to spend money right now. I'm going to pay X number of dollars to completely mitigate it and get rid of it with a software solution, or I'm going to purchase an insurance policy, aka cyber insurance, in order to transfer that risk to somewhere else. And in every instance, you have to look at what's the potential cost and then what resolutions do I have and which one makes the most business sense and be able to speak to that in a way that the CEO, the COO are going to understand and have that discussion in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And looking into uh, you know the future, uh, and you've already mentioned that your role is m- mostly business oriented, right? So what are the most important important skills that CISOs nowadays should have? 
Aside from a healthy understanding of how the systems work, I would definitely say that keen business savvy, the ability to understand how the business operates, what value each solution provides, and then how to shore up that solution to make sure that it continues to provide the value and then have that discussion all the way around. The technical is a, we'll call it foundational skill set for that. You have to understand the ins and outs of software, APIs, services, um, proper security frameworks. All of those are foundational, but then it turns into the ability to apply that in a business environment. That's my opinion. Let's try to unpack that just a bit more, if, that, if that's okay. Uh, because, you know, I've, I've been having a lot of discussions throughout my, my career with, um, um, you know, rookies in the industry that wanna, want to, you know, to carve their own path and, you know, determine their journey and what it would look like, right? So it's either they, you know, some of them start with IT, others start with uh, development, SDLC, others might become SOC analyst. And you mentioned a lot of these domains right now in, you know, in the last couple of minutes here. Um, so on one hand, you're saying that an individual that wants to grow and progress in the industry should have, you know, this this uh, a broad fun, a broad fun foundation. If I understand you correctly, but uh, I mean, there's so many realms, right? You have IT, you have uh, application security, you have um, SOC, SIM, you have regulations, you have compliance. Where do you start? I have started so far with a lot of the major frameworks, some NIST cybersecurity framework, ISO 27001, High Trust, SOC 2. Those are a lot of the major players right now within cybersecurity, or at least the ones that I interact with on a fairly regular basis. And so when I look at them, they provide a lot of guidance and potentially even um, prescriptive guidance in terms of how to approach a cybersecurity environment. Are your passwords secure? How often are they rotated? Do you have a separation of duties? Are your applications code reviewed? Um, all of those are very, um, we'll call it foundational to a cybersecurity program, and they've been very well thought out. They're constantly evolving, but they are where I start when I look at an overall cybersecurity environment. NIST cybersecurity frameworks, potentially one of the most um, digestible in terms of information. And so it's very approachable when you look at it and go, I want to understand how my environment works. I want to see what controls I should have. It provides a very, very uh, easy to work with framework for that. After that, you start getting into things like the ISO 27001s, the high trust. You have auditors that literally come in and run the tests for you, or you run into governance risk compliance software that will test it for you in real time. And they're highly prescriptive in terms of what you have to have. Because of that, it makes it a little bit easier to understand but then you have to transfer that knowledge into the business savvy later. So I rely very heavily on the frameworks. Mm -hmm. And that's a, I love that response. That's a great response in my opinion, but uh, having, you know, talked about that, let's say, um, you know, I'm a newcomer to the industry and I'm seeing all like this vast landscape of all these things like compliance and ISO 27001 and HIPAA and HITRUST and SOC2 and PCI and, and penetration testing and application security. And I want to start my own career and I want to build, uh, a, you know, carve a path for myself. What do I do first, in your opinion? I can only speak from the approach that I've taken to it, which is try getting on the projects that interface with those. Try getting the experience. 
every project within IT or a business at large is going to have a component of cybersecurity. And if you start having those discussions, you start hearing it, you will learn and pick up the vernacular very quickly. The alternative is take an entry level position within the cybersecurity community that focuses specifically on that. You'll hear all of the controls, you'll learn them, you'll see them and test it in real time. And so it really gets down to get into it, get your hands dirty, start working it. And from there, you can pick up a lot of how those systems work, why they work, and start creating an environment that is conducive to that, making yourself integral to it. Mm -hmm. Okay, good advice. And now that we've covered uh, what are the required skills for a CISO nowadays, looking into the future, um, what would you think the CISO's uh, role would transition into? And, you know, let's assuming, assume five, 10 years into the future. I think the CISO is probably going to be more formalized into a business partner, especially with some of the things we've seen recently with the SEC requirements. They're held accountable by the board. Um, and so investors play a lot larger role within the CISO. I expect they'll be working more with the COOs, the chief legal officers, the CLOs, um, probably even the CFO in terms of finance and risk mitigation components but I expect they will become more of a partner to the business and viewed less in terms of a IT asset or an IT focus. Mm -hmm. And I think that transition is already happening nowadays, right? I would agree. Yeah. I'm curious to see where it ends. I think the slope and scale of that are going to change. And I expect that it's going to become one more formalized, but two more spotlighted because the impact of a cybersecurity event right now is so large and it could potentially get even larger that it will become more, more heavily scrutinized, more regulated. And so I think they will take more of a central focus. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in your opinion, what will we see in the, in the industry next? I think the next areas that are ripe for a security focus are really going to be um, what I like to refer to as agentless security. So much right now base, is based around where can you install an agent and collect information from, but that's limited to a computer and it's limited to the hardware that a user has. Um, and so I think we will see more focus on things like a user uses an iPad, a computer, and a phone all simultaneously to work on company information. Most often you'll only have an agent on one of those and only in the largest, most secure companies are you gonna see agents on all three and are tight focus. I expect the organization is going to shift, the industry will shift more towards um, cloud-based security on those and more focus on the services having security, as opposed to a focus on an individual piece of hardware that one user has. Mm -hmm. uh, any changes in budget, in your opinion, pre-COVID, post-COVID world? I think pre-COVID was a really great time to be a business. I think COVID has kind of just shaken up the anthill, if you will. And so budgets have been hit really hard. And due to some of the recent changes with inflation, the Fed, interest rates, um, I know I've seen budget cuts. I've seen them across the industry. I'm, there's been more than 40,000 executive or cybersecurity specialists, I would say more generically, uh, IT specialists from a lot of the major players over the last several months. And so it's flooded the industry with IT. Um, simultaneously, that's come with budget cuts. 
I think that impacts the cybersecurity world just as hard, especially seeing the cost of uh, cybersecurity insurance almost double over the last year. That's been my experience. Mm -hmm. Did you think we're, uh, there's an impending uh, shift or transition in the market now with uh, you know this these uncertain times? I think it's interesting from a business perspective because you've got a lot of talent that just got released and is looking for a new company to align with. And so for an organization that is able to onboard high-end smart people right now, it's a great time to be hiring. Simultaneously, if you are that high-end expensive talent, it's not necessarily super secure because the number of budget cuts that have come through, layoffs suck. There's, it's always a risk and it's always one of those things you're looking out for. And so trying to find an organization that is on the upward trajectory that's aligned with your goals and is looking for that high-end talent, it's really a question of finding alignment, both from a business and from a personal perspective. Yeah. Well, remains to be seen. We'll see how it goes in the next year or so. Um, what would you define as innovation in our space? In terms of innovation within cybersecurity, I think it revolves around trying to create a single pane of glass, if you will. So I have so many different solutions that all have various aspects of cybersecurity the vendors that are most effective within the industry right now are the ones that can do multiple things simultaneously. For instance, you end up with an identity provider, then you've got a zero trust network, you've got um, your cybersecurity or posturing assessment. When you integrate all three of those into one product, you individually have three standalone products that you could sell, but if you can put them into one product, you end up capturing more of the industry. And you also make it easier for the cybersecurity team to look at a single portal, to look at a single dashboard and see the overall health and security, as opposed to looking at multiple different dashboards. And so I think the most innovative, the most effective players in the game are going to be able to create one solution that takes care of multiple aspects of cybersecurity seamlessly. Mm -hmm. and, and I think uh, some uh, large vendors out there are already doing that. I think I've, I've been to... Uh to uh talk probably probably just before covid uh i attended the talk that was given out by a palo alto networks founder and i believe that's their strategy you know like among gutters obviously but their strategy is just to you know integrate acquire and uh just provide a unified solution it makes sense yeah. some vendors are definitely on the cutting edge of that and i think they'll continue to build it out the interesting thing when I've talked to those to some of those vendors that uh, do a lot of things in one solution is it isn't all that customizable. Most times when I talk to them, they want you to customize your business to their security product, not the reverse. And so functionality really plays into that decision very, very heavily. Yeah. And as long as we start talking about vendors, let's, uh, you know, explore that just slightly. Uh, what's the one thing you wish vendors would stop doing? <laughs> Pinging me on LinkedIn saying, I'd like your opinion. <laughs> Good. Okay. Expand. <laughs> uh, I get between five and 10 uh, LinkedIn messages per day, and that's being conservative, of people saying, oh, we just launched this thing, and you seem like an expert in your industry. I'd love to get your opinion. It'll just take 15 minutes. And as soon as you hop on, they want your opinion. And then they're trying to convince you that their product 
already got rid of all of your opinion and they've already taken care of it. And it's just one of those sales tactics that I'm like, I don't want to do this. It seemed authentic. It's asking me to help solve a problem, which I love doing. But then when you get me there, surprise, it's a sales tactic. So I really like it when they approach me with educational materials. I really like it when they are teaching me something about the industry or talking about something that's really relevant today. And then we can have the discussion about how they're ahead. I love learning from vendors. I just don't like that whole feel of entrapment in sales. Yeah. Okay. And I think you've answered my follow-up question. Uh, any people that uh, you look up to in the industry that you wanted to name drop or mention? Oh, good grief. Um, I hate to say it, but I don't follow individual cybersecurity practitioners so much as companies and where they're going with things, uh, especially within the cybersecurity space. I hate to say it, but Kroll has become a major go-to in my work. Um, they're a vendor that I've partnered with, and so they've, they're constantly sending out educational materials. They're letting me know in real time what's the newest CVE what's the newest cybersecurity threat. And I get information from them so much faster than I would through watching media or news outlets, things like that. Similarly with uh, Okta or co-location spaces, they've done really, really well in terms of taking the lead in cybersecurity and talking about that, also the transparency. So I would answer that and I probably follow organizations more closely than individuals. Okay, thank you. Uh, we're almost at the at the tail end of our episode today. Uh, what's the best way to connect with you online? The best way to connect with me online would either be email or through a LinkedIn message that is not. Uh, can I get your opinion? <laughs> if you send over uh, white papers or business cases, um, even some of the things that are happening, I, I will definitely read them um, and see how they present value. Okay, that's a good tip for any of our vendors listening out there. Uh, for not not for what not to do. Um, and you know, final question: If money was never an issue, what would you do with, with your life? First, that would be amazing. I mean, I wish I had that <laughs> problem, but <laughs> right now bills are still a thing. Um, you had I your chance a few weeks ago, you know, with uh, one point five billion, or what was it? Uh, the lottery. Yeah, I think I specialize in losing money more. I was a victim of the cryptocurrency crash of my own design. So, mm. oh, well, um, if money were not an issue, I would want to get onto not-for-profit boards and focus on trying to fix homelessness, um, especially here in Denver. Homelessness is a huge, huge issue. And the people that don't have homes that are living on the streets, especially with an incoming uh, cold snap, I just feel for them. Nobody should have to go through that. And so I would love to exercise the influence to try and make that better. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. And with that, uh, what's left for me just to say thank you. Thank you for carving up, uh, you know, a portion of your time. I know you're busy. Uh, I enjoyed our, our talk. Uh, any, any final notes? Anything you wanted to add? I very much appreciate it. Um, even the questions have been a unique perspective in how to look at cybersecurity and the overall approach that I take within my career. So I'm very grateful. And to any vendors that are listening, reach out, make me smarter, educate me on something I didn't know about cybersecurity, keep me on my toes. Uh, we all get better through the education and the more we can work together, the better we'll be as an industry. Thank you for that as well. And uh, 
See you uh, soon. Thanks, man. I appreciate it.